Gardner Minshew doesn't do much for me. Uh, but bottom line is I do like their defense. The fact that, you know, look, my list people can argue with and question all they want, but it, those are certainly two of the top five greatest moments in NFL history. On this episode of Against the Grain, we handicap week three with an insider, and we argue about the greatest moment in NFL history. It gets heated. Let's go. We are cutting against the grain. Against the grain. Against the grain. Against the grain. Now your host for Against the Grain. Here's Andrew Perloff. Welcome to the Against the Grain podcast. Now, if you watch the Dan Patrick Show or listen to the Dan Patrick Show, there is one take that Dan and I have disagreed about for a long, long time. It's called The Process. I am a Philadelphia 76ers fan. I happen to have been a fan of former GM Sam Hinkie, who came up with The Process, which was the ultimate tank job. And the Sixers tanked for years, and it drove Dan nuts because he thought they were putting an inferior product out for the fans. And he also said to me a million times, like, how do you know the Sixers are going to draft great guys? Obviously, if they're bad now, what's, what's to say that they won't get guys that stink in the future? Now, it's been a mixed bag for the process. Sixers have not gotten all the way. But now we are seeing the NFL version of the process down in Miami. The Dolphins are terrible. Possibly the worst team of all time. Very likely they could go 0-16. But, and this is a big but, I think that they made two great trades. Laramie Tunsil, they got basically a Brinks truck. They loaded it up to the Houston Texans franchise and sent their young left tackle, Laramie Tunsil, there for future first-round picks, future second-round picks. Oh, my gosh. It, it was an incredible haul. Even Laramie Tunsil admitted himself. He's like, I would have traded me for that. Now, Laramie Tunsil, who is a first-round pick, left tackle, was possibly going to be the number one overall pick before he got caught on draft night uh, with a sort of gas mask bong. He's struggling in Houston, as you'd expect. He's new there, got nailed for multiple holding calls in week two. Week one, he looked lost on a couple plays. He's very physically talented, there's no doubt. But were the Dolphins ever going to pay him full left tackle money? I don't think so. Because if you think about the Dolphins, their GM, Chris Greer, is from New England. New England never pays up for left tackle. They let Nate Solder walk. Uh, They let all their offensive linemen walk kind of when big money is at stake. So it's not a Patriot way, which the Dolphins are trying to emulate, to pay your left tackle. So, of course, they're not going to pay Laramie Tunsil. Then they trade Minka Fitzpatrick to the Steelers in kind of a mind-boggling trade. The Steelers are 0-2 and just lost their starting quarterback, their Hall of Fame quarterback, and they're getting a safety to right the ship. Okay, maybe he's a cornerback. I'm not sure what Minka Fitzpatrick is, but I'll tell you right now, without a quarterback, it doesn't matter if he's Ed Reed combined with Darrell Rivas. He is not going to turn around that Steelers franchise. So... That's a possible high pick. Say the Steelers go 7, 8, 9, 10, and they need a quarterback in next year's draft. They're not going to be able to get one because they have Minka Fitzpatrick. So the Dolphins got a, two great trades when you look at them individually. As a whole, yes, they're terrible. Is it going to be painful? Yes. But my take is if you got to process, you got to process hard. Now, I want to talk to the producer of this real quick, Mario. So you know Dan hates us more than anything when I say this, but am I making any sense to you? You know, you're the average sports fan. What, is there any redeeming quality to this process we're seeing down in Miami? Yeah, to a certain extent. Um, I get the Laramie Tunsil trade fine. Uh, I think Schrager made a really good point today, though. Um, oh, that's another guy. Pete Schrager, my old friend, 
kind of went at it with me on the show today. But go ahead. I feel like Minka Fitzpatrick, I mean, what, he's 22 years old, and you have him on the, under that rookie contract for so long. If Let's say they do get a Tua next year. They do get that franchise quarterback. Now you have pieces. So where are they going to start on the other side of the ball? So they're completely starting new. It's not like this kid was somebody that was, you know, on a big contract or he was older. I mean, he's 22 years old. He's pretty young, no? No, he is 22. But have you ever watched a Dolphins game and say, wow, Minka Fitzpatrick is totally dominating? Could be. I got to be honest. I have not paid that close attention. There's a lot on Twitter about how he was not as dominant as as they had hoped his rookie year. Then there are other people who said he's really good. Um, You know, by the way, I'm... I'm going to tell Dan that you're on my side, but is that okay? Because you know he's not going to like it. Yeah, that's fine. I'll take your back on this one. Yes. Um, and honestly, like it, it's funny because Dan did admit and said today the Steelers trade was probably a mistake on the Steelers' part. You have to admit, it's a risk to give up a potentially high pick for a safety, Mario. That's not like a traditional path to winning big. Mason Rudolph, a quarterback, could you, are you afraid of the Steelers? No, not at all. Well, I mean, we yeah. haven't seen Mason Rudolph yet. I mean, I'll tell you after this week if we want to do a big overreaction, but no, that's not a name that scares me at all. The other sort of hot take I have for this week is Eli Manning-ish. Isn't it funny that we've all seen Eli Manning probably more than we've seen any quarterback in the history of the world? He's played forever. He's in New York. The Giants games are always one of the highest-rated games. And still, after all these years, no one has any idea how good he is. Like, it, opinions are all over the board. People say he stink. Well, if he stinks, how is he seventh all-time in passing yards? People say he's never had a great season. He's had one of the top 20 seasons of all time. In 2011, his stats were unbelievable. And ever since Odell got there, his stats have been unbelievable. Here is my argument, and bear with me on this one, Mario. Here's one thing that people don't realize about Eli. The Giants really did not spend a lot of draft capital on wide receivers. He made mediocre, well, let's not say mediocre, he made average receivers look awesome, and there's evidence of this. Uh, Mario Manningham, he looked great in New York. Oh, yeah. He left New York, went to San Francisco, not good. Hakeem Nix, he looked great, unbelievable in a Giants uniform. Mm-hmm. Then he goes to Indy and flames out almost immediately. I could go to Amani Toomer, never played with him. He retired. Jeremy Shockey was a bit of a different story, but he left. He didn't do anything. Steve Smith, the other Steve Smith, not the Panthers, Steve Smith, flourished with Eli and then did nothing. Victor Cruz, of course, left. But like these are Plaxico is a totally different story. Shot himself in the leg. I guess that doesn't count. My point is that Eli took average receivers and made them look better than they were. Got them paid. I think he threw a really catchable ball. I think that he was on a team for a lot of years there where they still wanted to run the ball. They never opened up their offense like Drew Brees and the Saints because they wanted to let their defense win games. So I think that held Eli back a little bit. And the other thing, I mean, the... You've been in that, oh, maybe you haven't, but inside that building, just to hold the fort down with a guy who is completely normal and no controversy in New York in this media market is incredible value to me. I, I'm putting him in the Hall of Fame, and I, I know that you know a lot of people think he wasn't great, especially at the end. He might have played himself out. But I'll tell you right now, those voters in five years after he retires, they're definitely putting him in. Two Super Bowls? They want to put in Jim Plunkett with two Super Bowls, and that dude never made a Pro Bowl. Eli made four Pro Bowls, is in top 10 all-time in passing yards. It's going to be impossible to keep him out. Are you sold, Mario? Did I, did I sell you right there? I could not agree with you anymore, honestly. Yes. I think, I mean, Eli Manning, he took down arguably the greatest quarterback ever in the NFL twice. He didn't do it yes. once. He did it twice. 
Why why the Eli hate from everybody? I just don't understand it. This I is, don't know why the Eli hate. Maybe it's the look on his face and his haircut and all that stuff. And then I mean you bring up a great point with the receivers. When was the last time they invested a first round pick in Well I mean, o- Odell Beckham. Od- and o- you know and what then, happened when Odell Beckham got there and he was on the field? Eli's numbers were amazing when Odell was there. Other than that, who else have they and I mean Saquon he you know, he's not really getting a chance with him to say, right? No, Hakeem and that's Nicks, a was he a first anyway. round pick out of North Carolina? I believe he was. I am pulling up as we speak, and I'm sure this is an exciting listen, list of Giants first round picks. And by the way, the whole team has drafted bad over the last, say, eight or nine years. Victor Cruz so was took, undrafted uh, under, uh, yeah. know, out of UMass. So they took Odell Beckham in 2014, and he definitely helped Eli's numbers. They took Hakeem Nix in 2009 at 29 out of North Carolina. So the, those are the two wide receivers. Then in, <laughs> if you go back to Ike Hilliard, you probably don't even remember. I don't I remember know how him. old you were. Yeah, he, uh, that was 97. And he, of course, bounced around. They took a guy named Thomas Lewis out of Indiana in 1994. I did not remember that. That's oh, my gosh. Name, yeah. Then I'm looking. They took Derek Brown. You don't remember this pick. That was a big pick. He was a tight end out of Notre Dame. was supposed to be a star. Never did anything. So, anyway, uh, you know it's funny, too? I was looking all over Eli's numbers. Kerry Collins had some pretty big numbers with the Giants, too. But uh, this is not going to be a Kerry Collins podcast. I'm into Eli. <laughs> I like it. But... I could. I am driving the Daniel Jones bandwagon, and I'm basing it solely on preseason, which is a mistake that has cost me many, many times before. Many times. It's why I claim Nathan Peterman was going to be a good NFL quarterback. It's why I said former Virginia Tech quarterback Logan Thomas was going to do something. He is a tight end. Uh, but Daniel Jones was 29 and 34. That was Dak Prescott's preseason all over again, and Dak turned out to be great. So I think Daniel Jones... Uh, has like sort of a Dak Prescott sort of quiet thing going on. I think he's going to be effective pushing the ball. I think he's going to give a little bit of life to the Giants. I don't think they're going to win a lot of games. That defense stinks, but it's going to be exciting. So I am two things at once. I'm pro Eli legacy wise, and I'm pro Daniel Jones. Is that possible to be, or do you have to choose sides in New York, Mario? No, they're both on the same team. I'm sure Eli's pro Daniel Jones at this point. I don't think Get Eli, ha- I don't no, think no, Eli no. has any ill will. It's, ha- no. it ha- it's the circle of life. He no, knocked Kurt Warner out. Now he has yeah, to support the young guy. Yeah, but in reality, you know he's not supporting the young guy. You can't. Everybody, that's just talk. No athlete is supporting the guy who took his job. That has never happened. I think, like he we Barry Zito. I think yeah. he's a genuinely nice guy. It sucks, yeah, but I mean, the guy's older. You, you know, at some point it's going to happen, right? I no, mean, he's, not that, ro- he's not rooting for his replacement. That's his I'm guy. Older. I'm older. I root against you and all you younger people. <laughs> I, whenever there's like a young amazing person in media. I openly root against him. Like I was at Sports Illustrated when Pablo Torre was coming up, who's now on ESPN. I was like, oh my God, he's way too talented. I am rooting against him from day one. You know, all these, all you young, talented people, I, I hate all of you. And I think Eli is exactly like me. Um, we had Barry Zito on the Dan Patrick show, and he said when he was injured and getting all this money, he was rooting against his own team in a way because you don't want to see, the better your team does when you're out, the worse you look. And I'm sorry, that's human nature. Uh, so I, I bet you Eli's going to, first of all, Eli's face never changes, so we won't be able to tell. Nope. But he's going to be so fake when he's psyched about Daniel Jones' <laughs> touchdown. But that being said, I don't know that, uh, that Daniel Jones lasts a season. Eli could always come back. Never say, never say die with a Manning quarterback, as we learned. All right, I want to jump in to this week's guest. Uh, first, we're going to have Sean Brace, who is my new buddy 
from Fox the Gambler in Philadelphia. It's a new affiliate of the Dan Patrick Show. I'm going to do a weekly spot there. I went down and did a spot with him and former kicking star David Akers before the Eagles home opener. Uh, we're going to break down all the lines. I'll tell you right now the line I love, Mario. Are you got a pen? I uh, love. Yeah, I'm, I'm right here. I, I, I'm really into the the Raiders minus the uh, Raiders getting eight points against the Vikings. I have not seen anything on the Vikings. I didn't totally get that, which makes me feel it might be a sucker bet, so I'm not mortgaging the house. But that that's the line that jumped off to me. Then we're going to talk about the big, big spreads, of course, the Dolphins, Cowboys, and the Patriots, Jets. Uh, so that's a lot of fun. And then we're going to argue about the greatest moment in NFL history. There's a new book by an old friend of mine, a guy I used to work with at the NFL office named Craig Ellenport, who wrote a book, uh, you know, it's a hundred year of the NFL. His is a hundred greatest moment and moments ever. And it's a really interesting list because it's absolutely non-obvious to me. Like I would have gone with five plays, like the catch, the immaculate reception, Craig digs way deeper. And it's really interesting. All right. So let's get into it from Fox sports, the gambler in Philadelphia, my buddy, Sean brace. All right, we're going to jump right into these lines with my guy, Sean Brace. Okay, we're currently taping on a Wednesday night. Thursday, Tennessee-Jacksonville, their annual game. Hmm. I hate this game, but this is a game like if there's an – they can't go low enough on the under for me. I do not like anything about these two teams, and they traditionally do hit the under. Do you have any thoughts on the Jags and the Titans? Well, I just, I'm just looking forward to seeing whose color rush uniform is better. Yeah. And that's where I'm going to put my money. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. By the way, you know, I like the under here, Andrew. I do. Uh, but it, it, Jacksonville, I, I'm, I'm kind of sold on the on their defense. I like the way that they looked against the Texans last week. Gardner Minshew doesn't do much for me. Uh, but bottom line is I do like their defense, and, and Ramsey is upset. So I think you're going to get a, a fired-up Jalen Ramsey in that secondary who performed pretty well versus D-Hop the previous week. Give me the Jacksonville Jags on this one. But Sean, you're in Philly. I mean, aren't you guys sizing up the Jalen Ramsey jersey? You can't possibly be rooting for him to do well in Jacksonville. Do you know that I actually saw him this morning at the Wawa? He was ordering a shorty. Yeah, he's, he's already in <laughs> Philly. He's already in Philly. <laughs> <laughs> he's looking at real estate in uh, in Wynwood. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, let's now just dive into the 1 o'clock games here. Okay. Uh, Atlanta at Indianapolis. This is a game, by the way, nationally nobody's talking about. It's sort of like Indianapolis, I feel like they're, from a national perspective, like, let's, let's just wait. Nobody knows what to make of Jacoby Brissett. I know some pundits and some people on this podcast have said he's really good. Man, I don't know about that game. I, I feel like the Falcons, hopefully for them, figured some things out against the Eagles. I'm leaning Atlanta. Yeah, and you know what? 65% of the bets right now are on the uh, the Atlanta Falcons. But, uh, Andrew, I'm a Frank Reich guy, and that's yeah. the reason why they're winning. I know you are as well. He's a darn good coach, and no matter who the quarterback is, that offense is going to move the football. I like the Colts going home. This is their uh, this is their first home game, too, of the, of the year. They've, they opened up the, the season on, on the road two straight times. Uh, so give me, give me the Colts to, uh, to wake up and get this W at home. Okay, I think the game of the week is the Ravens go to KC. My quick take on the Ravens is it's like they've played the Dolphins and the Cardinals. It's almost like they've had two inter-squad scrimmages, and now they play a real team. Are they ready for the step up in competition? I don't quite know, because I don't think we know as much about the Ravens as everyone thinks they do. 
I love the fact that we got a little Harbaugh versus Andy Reid, and it's the game of the week, and it really is. Uh, right now, I'm looking at this line, and 64% of the bets are on the Chiefs, and that's obvious. That's six and a half. It did bump up. It opened at six. It's now up to six and a half. Look, Patrick Mahomes is on a different planet, but that Baltimore Ravens defense is really, really good. Uh, well coached, as always, the Ravens. Just Lamar Jackson, like, like you said, the first two games, he looked great, but the opponent, I can't really get much from. The Chiefs, I think they're deep defense is okay, so I'm really looking forward to seeing what Lamar Jackson does here. If you really make me pick this game right now, which you are, I'm probably going to go with the Ravens catching the six and a half. Let, let me see what I can do with the Ravens on the road here. Okay, uh, we got the Broncos going to Lambeau. I do not like the Broncos as a team, but eight points seems like a lot for a game that the way the Packers have played this year could be kind of ugly, kind of defensive. What's your, what's your reaction to that spread? My reaction to that spread is Green Bay has a really good defense for the first time in a long time and bottled up with the fact that the Broncos just look a little lost right now and they were snake-bitten last week by losing that game. So that's why I, I understand why this number bumped up two points after it opened. It's now up to eight, as you said. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Packers. I think Aaron Rodgers and the offense, they figure things out and just that defense right now is all over the place. They're playing like with their heads cut off, so I like the Packers in this one. Okay. The team I'm an expert on, Cincinnati Bengals at <laughs> Buffalo. Uh, listen, the Bengals' defense, people aren't talking about how historically bad it is. Last year, they were on pace to be the worst ever, and then they got lucky at the end of the year. They did nothing really to help, and they just got their doors blown off by the Niners. Not to mention that, their offensive line is so injured, people don't even know like the string they're down to. Uh, so my guy, Andy Dalton, unfortunately has no chance, but, but I don't know about Buffalo. Yeah. Minus six, what's your reaction? Yeah, you know, and that's the thing. It's like I'm not sold on Josh Allen right now. I'm just not. And I understand Buffalo, they're the kings of New York. They took out the Giants and they took out the Jets. What does that mean? Again, still too early to tell, but here's what I do know. Cincinnati better have gotten embarrassed in that film room because they did not tackle anybody well they in never the Niners game. So I'm going to stay with the hot hand and the dice game on this one. Let's roll with the Buffalo Bills. I do like what McDermott has. I, I like his coaching style. Six is a big number. It did open at four and a half, but give me the Bills on this one. Okay, one of the two gigantic spreads, and I guess it's I see in 23 now, the Jets visit Foxborough. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, listen, the Jets against a normal defense would be really bad, but I think the Patriots' defense is elite right now. Uh, I, I kind of picked the Dolphins against the Patriots. I'm not making that mistake again, but 23, like, what is the sort of what's been the the gambling talk on the spread that big? What are the what's the sharp money do when that number is so huge? Well, I think there's plenty of other games that you can choose from. That's number one, and I think that seems to be the consensus when you look at both of these games, the uh, the Dolphins and the Cowboys and then the Jets and the Patriots with that high number. Yeah. There's plenty of other games to go with. But bottom line is there's no way you can look yourself in the mirror and take the Jets after what you just saw Monday Night Football. I, I made this joke. I'm telling you, I think the Jets should actually get some points just for crossing midfield. <laughs> they should. Uh, Roger Goodell, implement that system in right now uh, if you are going to place a wager on this game you have to go with the patriots okay detroit philadelphia now i'm seeing six and a half now mm-hmm. eagles pra- uh, cancel practice on wednesday dealing with all kinds of injuries you're on top of it what do you think yeah this is uh this is the one game that i circled i liked it a lot at seven 
Now it's down to six and a half, and that's telling you a little something. I think it's going to continue to come down south um, because of the injuries and what's happening right now with this Eagles team across the board. As you said, they cancel practice. Like I've never heard of such a thing, and a lot of people who have been covering the NFL for a lot longer than I have said the same exact thing on social media today. So that's not a good sign. I'm not sold on Doug Peterson. He's not calling the best of plays these days. Carson Wentz, who's he throwing the football to without Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson out there? That's a big, big loss for them to, to take the top off of the defense. So for me, I think the Eagles do win. I'm not. Don't get it twisted. I think they still come out on top. But if you're going to give me seven, now down to six and a half, I'm going to have to ride with the Lions defense on this one. You know, Sean, people in Philadelphia listen to this podcast. And <laughs> you're going to be know, sitting there Sunday morning. Where do you guys broadcast from Sunday morning? We will be at Xfinity Live, sir. You and David. Yeah, they're going to be like, I heard what you said on Against the Grain Pod. Yeah, isn't it funny that where do you stand? You know, I grew up listening to, to go back to Angelo Catali and everyone. Do you ever feel like, as a local host, like you have to be either too positive towards the Eagles or too negative? Do you, is there ever, do you have to fight yourself to be objective about your home team? Well, I was at a previous radio station, and I won't name them because they fired me after nine years. Uh, when I was there... When I was there, I absolutely allowed a lot of outside voices to play into what I, I said over the airwaves and how I was on social media. Now, Andrew, I don't give a you-know-what. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just got to be honest and, and tell it like it is. And right now, the Eagles, left. there's a lot to be desired. And, and the injuries are just, are just totaling up to, to just things I've never seen before. Nine players were hurt and, and that Monday night football game. They're not crisp. Uh, maybe they were reading a little bit of the headlines this offseason. I love Carson Wentz. I think he's so special. I put out the fact on social media after that game that he is special, and I got killed for it. But I think he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. It's just who's he throwing the football to right now? Well, you know, he looked good in the fourth quarter against Atlanta, and there was nobody. That's true. That's true. You got that point. I'll give you that. Uh, maybe the world will meet Jordan Howard as an Eagle this weekend. Okay, let's run through the rest of these quickly. Okay. Minnesota minus eight and a half. Oakland. I don't understand. I don't understand the spread at all because Kirk Cousins has not thrown the ball at all this year. That feels like it should be tighter. What's going on there? Yeah, and, and the next big game that Kirk Cousins wins will be those, his first big game. Yeah, the touchdown. The, the the throws that he made in that Packers game were atrocious. Yeah, they looked like a rookie quarterback. Something that Kyler Murray I would expect out of, and Murray looked even better than he did. Um, I don't know to tell you the truth. I think people are are still just believing in the Vikings going to win this division. So you're still getting some of those early predictions. Still people believing in what they're they were selling themselves in the off season. Uh, but right now, I like Gruden. I like the run game. I love Jay. Jacobs, Carr looking really good. Oh, by the way, did you know that Carr is like the number one passer in Oakland Raider history? Which weird. Is crazy to me. That's I, so weird. Yeah, it's very weird. Uh, but you know what? If you're going to give me that number, I'm going to go with the Raiders. Okay. Uh, the, you mentioned the other big spread, Cowboys, Dolphins, 21 and a half. Uh, <laughs> I, again, so you're saying a lot, of like, a lot of betters might not touch this game because of that. 83% of the action right now is on the Dallas Cowboys. You cannot take the Miami Dolphins at this point in time. The tank is in, and they're, they're not shy about it right now. Uh, you got to go with the Cowboys on this one. By the way, individually, I love both trades. Uh, you know, Micah Fitzpatrick for what could be like the number eight pick from the Steelers, that's going to go down as highway robbery. Laramie Tunsil has been a problem in Houston in two weeks. So I, I think that tra- both those trades are going to work out. Okay, uh, Tampa Bay hosts the Giants and Daniel Jones. Mm. You know I love me some Daniel Jones. You know I'm a preseason overreactor. I think he's got a shot here to bring them within six and a half. But 
if he has a shot, how come that number hasn't moved? Mm. You know, Eli Manning was benched on Tuesday morning. That number came out on Monday night, six and a half, or it came out immediately after the game that they lost, uh, or, uh, yeah, when the Giants lost. Uh, you know, I, I, I think if Daniel Jones had a chance, that number would have moved. Um, but I'm interested. I'm intrigued here. So give me the Giants with that number. Please. I'll tell you why. Because Todd Bowles is, is a miracle worker in Tampa Bay. That defense yeah. transformed, and they're not even that talented. Todd Bowles is obviously not a great head coach with the Jets, but, man, is he a good defensive coordinator. Okay, you got Carolina right now, two-and-a-half-point favorites over the Cardinals. I, we, it's too early. You know, we don't know what's going to happen with Cam Newton. Let's not even hit that one yet. I like Kyler. I'm a big Kyler Murray supporter. He is he is a 2020 NFL quarterback. He would not exist in 2005 and before, but I like what he's showing right now. I'm down. I agree. Okay. San Francisco minus six and a half. Pittsburgh with Mason Rudolph. San Francisco. Forget Mason Rudolph for a second. I don't know about San Francisco. It's amazing how quickly the Titanic, the big giant cruise ship that is the NFL media, had all been anti-San Francisco. And then all of a sudden they have, they win a close game over the Bucs and blow out the Bengals. And all of a sudden, oh, Jimmy G and Kyle Shanahan have figured it out. What's the truth here? Shanahan is is really impressive, impressing me this year. And Jimmy yeah. G, I've always believed in him as well, even though we got a small sample size of what he was able to do in New England. The key for me is the defense, the bounce back of the defense. Remember, this last year, I think they were worst in the league as far as turnovers, or I know they were worst in the league as far as interceptions are concerned, and now they've been picking off everybody in the first two games of the season. So, uh, again, more of a difficult opponent with the Steelers, and the Steelers are definitely desperate at, at this point in time. I like the Niners here. And I'm really digging what Shanahan's putting together. Okay, a few more here. Late games, Chargers, minus three Texans. Wow, that is is two teams that are hard to figure out. I got nothing to help here. What do you got? 83% of the money right now. 83% of the money on the Chargers. Wow, that is crazy. What do you think about it? All right, well, here's the deal. Uh, For me, I'm a Phillip Rivers guy. Always have been, always will be. So as long as he's the quarterback, I think they're going to figure out a way to get it done. Awesome. Okay, we got the backup quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater, and the Saints. Going to Seattle, four and a half points. Seattle given here. Ah, man. I have a friend who's pretty good at this who loves the Seahawks here. What do you think, Sean? Yeah, it's a tough place. It's a tough place for Teddy yep. Bridgewater to step in. I know he was good in Minnesota. Uh, you know, he had a brief stint, I believe, with the Jets, right? And then he signed with the Saints. He could have been anywhere else as a starting quarterback. I like Teddy Bridgewater and what he looked like when he was with the Vikings. But for him to get his first start, his first taste of a starting quarterback in 2019, and he's got to go to Seattle, plus the way Russell Wilson's been dialing it up, give me the Seahawks in this one. All right. This one's really interesting. I can't wait to watch this game. Browns, Rams. The Rams have been so much better the first two weeks. They look like an all-around. They look tougher. It's almost like they learned how to play tough in the Super Bowl. They look tough defensively. Jared Goff, I know we all forgot about him. He's looked great. Gurley is sort of a platoon running back. Rams minus three. I feel like the Rams might blow the door off the Browns unless they figure out something quickly because Baker Mayfield's looked confused two weeks in a row. 
19 of 35 against that Jets defense. Now, don't get me wrong. I thought they were an okay defense, but there were some wide open opportunities, and Baker Mayfield missed on a bunch of them. 19 of 35. I just was not impressed with his performance. And right now, you're looking at 91% of the bets on the Rams. Do you know the next five opponents for the Browns are all 2-0 and as we speak? Yeah. I mean, he's got the best of the best looking straight at him. He better figure out a way to get this game to, uh, 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 a win at home. I'm not going to go ahead and bet. I would probably stay away from this game. Got it. But I like the Rams. All right, lastly, uh, Case Keenum and the Washington Redskins in a must-win situation against the Bears. This is a this is an ugly Monday Night Football game. This is going to be played in a box. Bears minus four. This to me, this game could be so. It feels like a field goal either way. Yeah, yeah, the, the the skins haven't been all that good. We watched them pretty close, uh, opening up with the Eagles and then the Cowboys last week. The Bears, on the other hand, we watched that Thursday night game. We weren't impressed, and then against uh, against Denver, they got really lucky to get out of there with the victory. Again, flip a coin on this one. I probably well, it's Monday night football, so I will end up wagering. Uh, right now, I'm going to lean to the skins just because they're home uh, and they're catching uh, four points as we speak. But I'm, I, I, that's a tough game to pick either way. Yeah, I know. That's going to be a tough game to watch, possibly. Although, you know, I root for Case Keenum. All right, so, Sean, are you ready for a once-a-week McLovin update on Fox Sports, the gambler in Philly? You think that the town of Philadelphia and its 500-year history has ever experienced anything like this? Nothing like this. This is the first of its kind right here. All the radio hosts move out of the way. We're going to erect a statue next to Nick Foles down there at the <laughs> link with a McLovin statue. I think we got to put Dan Patrick behind you. But still, we're going to put a statue of McLovin down at the link after midweeks with McLovin every 3.30. I'm Fox Sports Radio, the gambler here in Philadelphia. Dude, I'm so excited to have your voice on this station. You know I'm a big fan. Let's uh, be realistic. It's going to be Dan in front and me in the back. <laughs> I mean, no one's going to know who I am if you put that. But they'll be like, what's wrong with this, uh, what's wrong with this um, picture? Uh, all right, Sean, I appreciate it. Uh, we will do this later in the season. We're going to be talking a, a lot, of, lot of gambling on this show, hopefully, because basically, I got to be honest, like, and you know, I've been like just slightly over 500 so far this season. But I'm I'm getting my sea legs this year. With all the injuries, it's so hard to predict anything. How have you know you guys just sort of started this station in Philadelphia? Are you finding that people are responding to the gambling aspect of oh, it? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, this, we're we're riding the wave, and it's right something that's been coming on very strong here. And well, we're in the heart of it, you know. When everyone talks about sports gambling, they immediately think of Vegas, which is just it's got to stop because mm-hmm. New Jersey is just dominant. New York is coming. Philly is popping up left and right with Sugar House and parks and everything that just continues to add. So we're in the heart of it. We're in a great spot, and we're just expanding as we go and bringing on people like you. No lie, bringing on people like you on a weekly basis is huge for us so I greatly appreciate it man I appreciate it buddy we'll talk soon excellent thanks McLovin alright we'll check back on how those picks did on Mondays against the grain podcast now let's get into a little NFL 100 it's a topic that's everywhere this year the NFL is really putting this century mark down our throat but this is a really interesting look at it I'm psyched to talk to my old friend Craig Allenport uh, we were co-workers at the NFL corporate offices on Park Avenue back in the day. He was on the dot-com side. I was on the TV side. But he knows his football history. He's written a lot of great stuff through the years. He had this unbelievable article on the miracle of the Meadowlands. And trust me, he has a lot of sources that are close to this who've been there for it. So he has a great perspective. 
Craig Allenport, 100 Greatest Moments in NFL History. All right, it's now my pleasure to bring in an old friend, Craig Allenport, whose book, NFL 100, The Greatest Moment of the NFL Century, which came out Tuesday on Triumph Books. Now, Craig, listen, I read the list, and we're friends. We've known each other a long time. What are you doing here? No, I just, I'm just jumping in. You're going to get a lot of people who disagree with you. Because that happens whenever you do a ranking, especially one this important. Well, first of all, thanks. And, I, and you can disagree all you want, and, I'm fine. and I know it's coming. I'm, I'm ready for it. Um, you know, it's funny because, you know, you look at what the NFL is doing with their top 100 list for all these different things and greatest games and greatest players and greatest, um, you know, plays and uh, to bunch them all together and come up with the ranking, I think is, uh, is very challenging. And uh, I, I'll take all the credit and I'll take all the criticism. So it's interesting. Your list is kind of a lot of off field stuff, which is like, for example, and I'm going to, I'm going to really fly through a hundred through 90. So we can focus more on the top ones. But like you have number 90, Fox lands NFL rights, number 100, Red Zone Channel launches. How did you like sort of look at balance, like the business off-field stuff versus the immaculate reception and all the big stuff we know? Well, I, you know, I came up with the, I came up with, with a number of these moments um, and, and didn't put them in order right away. Like I, I did reach out. I did, con- I, I did um, take the advice and, um, and, and and thoughts from several uh, noted NFL insiders, uh, veteran NFL writers and historians um, for for really like the top ten or twenty moments. Okay, and those were you know look and those were fairly easy and you can debate you know the exact order of where they go. Um, oh, we then, will we will debate that. <laughs> uh, you know, but then then as as it got obviously into those uh, you know in the eighty ninety one up down to one hundred. Uh, it wasn't easy to put it put it in, and I changed this order around several times as I as I did it because basically as I started writing things up, um, once I once I got into writing the actual um, sections, uh, you know I got a better feel for hey this is more important than I thought or less significant, but obviously still significant because it's in the top 100. But uh, the one thing you mentioned uh, you mentioned those two things which are uh, TV related, and there are a number of Sure. related things in here and you know look we just had uh you know this week they've had the jets browns monday night game uh talking about that being the first ever monday night game and i've got that in the top 10 the birth of nfl films i could have put the birth of nfl films number one sure. I, I got it before and i mean i it, that that to me is one of the most significant and important uh, aspects of the history of professional football do you do you remember when we were together at the nfl that I had a little. Do you remember I had a little cube at NFL Films when I was going back and forth? I don't even know if you yeah, remember that. I, I was in I heaven. I, I, it was the yeah, best thing that ever happened I, to me. It, I'm sure. I'm, it's. I mean, I've been down there a few times. It's. It's a. It's just such a wonderful place, and you know, for any uh, NFL fan, uh, let alone uh, someone who can appreciate the history of the place. And I, you know, I've had my. I've had my moments uh, um, dealing with, with Steve Sable and what a great man he was. And, uh, you know, really, you know, as, as it's noted in my book, they, they were the keepers of the flame. Absolutely. Okay, uh, there is another criticism, and I'm just going to get out of the way. Uh, my producer, Mario, wasn't alive for a lot of these things. He's uh, one of these 20-somethings. 
it, did you have to balance that? Did you say, well, maybe I want to get some more recent things up top to sort of sell the book? Or since it's 100 years of NFL, did you not even take that into effect? Well, it's it's funny you say that. I, I certainly didn't take into account anything about selling the book. I figured, I, I thought this list, even you know, even if it started with the older moments, is going to sell itself, or at least you know, is going going to be of interest to NFL fans, young or old, if they can appreciate history. Um, it was in, the inter- interesting thing is that uh, I, I did have the um, honor of getting some feedback <clears throat> from Paul Tagliabue, the oh, nice. former NFL commissioner, uh, in this list. And the funniest thing was, in my mind, I, I thought that Paul Tagliabue might not appreciate some of the more recent um, moments as opposed to older moments. And yet it was actually Tagliabue whose main criticism of my list that he saw, and I've adjusted it since then, was that he thought there needed to be more uh, moments from the past 25 years in this list. I mean, he actually was thinking of it in terms of percentage, you know, of saying how can, uh, mm. you know, things from the last 25 years not be up there. And it, it's it's difficult. And he's right. And and the, as I said, the list was adjusted a little bit since then. But the interesting thing about it is it, it is history. And just by nature, the older mm. history seems to be more important. Sure. It stands the test of time, and you know certainly, you know years from now we'll we'll look at some of the Patriots Super Bowl moments, and you know I mean look the first overtime Super Bowl, the great which was also the greatest comeback in the Super Bowl. Um, we'll think about that in same context as the greatest game ever played from 1958. Okay, I actually want to, and is it okay if I give away your? Say say your top ten, or are you trying to keep that yeah. on the right? Okay. No, no. Yeah. Go for it. All right. So I'm going to go. I'm starting at 21, and just I'm going to just give you my initial reaction when I read it, like my gut reaction, and then you react quickly to my reaction to see. So 21. The reason I started 21 was the immaculate reception. I totally, and we talked about this before. I expected that in the top 10 or top five, even. How did it get yep. down to 21? Um, and I, I've heard that I've heard that a few times already, and and I, I I understand it, but the reason it was a little lower to me because and and I do have another moment in here which was the the birth of the Pittsburgh Steelers dynasty in yep. the seventies. It could be argued, and, and I get it, that the Immaculate Reception was the beginning was the the beginning of their dynasty. It was the first ever playoff game that that franchise had ever won, going back to the 30s, which is amazing. Oh, I didn't even know that. But, um, you know, in in, in a way, that makes it even more significant. But on the other hand, they lost to the Miami Dolphins a week later. Um, You know, I think think a lot of people will see the Immaculate Reception highlight and in their minds think the Steelers won the Super Bowl that year, and that wasn't the case. Okay, number 20, Patriots almost undefeated season. Now, where is the Dolphins' undefeated season? Well, the the Dolphins' undefeated season is number five, and, and okay, and, oh, and it it fascinates me. The, the Dolphins, and and I, I think I think some people might criticize me for having the Dolphins uh, seventy two Dolphins too high, and that was one of the things that stuck with me as I put this book together. Um, the underappreciation of that nineteen seventy two Dolphins team. And the, the thing that fascinates me the most is, so the, the, the first, my first thought about the 72 Dolphins is, you know, 
here's the thing. I mean, everyone laughs at them when they pop open the champagne whenever uh, an undefeated team loses its first game. And, and I get it. It's silly. But think about this. When they show a Super Bowl highlight of the 1972 Dolphins, what do you see? Uh, like running and stuff? Like <laughs> kick Zaka, Mercury Wars? No, you, you see, no, well. Oh, I know what you see. Sure, sure. Nope, sorry. Nope, you get, you see, you know, look, at, and you and you make two good points. You see, the, the, Shula is the all-time winningest head coach. Uh, they, they won with a classic formula of running and defense. But when they show highlights from Super Bowl seven from their Super Bowl victory that year, the only highlight you ever see is Garrow Yepremian oh, getting a field goal block yeah. Yeah, yeah. and fumbling. It, it, it's one of the it's one of the all time yes. loopers in NFL history. That's so true. Here, so here's the only undefeated team in NFL history, and the only thing you see when you see their Super Bowl highlights is a blooper that works <laughs> against them. That's now, absolutely true. And that's, and that, now think now here's the one thing here's one thing that I didn't think about until looking into this and thinking about it a little further is the significance of that blooper of that touchdown for the Redskins. Now the Dolphins went 14 and 0 in the regular season, won two playoff games, and then the Super Bowl to finish their season 17 and 0. There was about two and a half minutes left in that game against the Redskins, and the Red and the the Dolphins were winning 14 nothing. They went for a field goal that would have made it seventeen nothing. Wow! They would have finished. They, if it were not for that silly block punt and Gary Premian blooper, they would have capped a seventeen and zero record with a seventeen nothing win in the Super Bowl, and it would still to this day be the only shutout in Super Bowl history. Oh, there you go. Now, Look, now, I did not know that. That. That's why I'm going to buy the book. How much more significant do you think the Dolphins of 72 would be in the eyes of football fans if they had that aura around them? I totally agree. All right, I'm sold. Okay, 19th, Super Bowl 25, which is uh, the Bills missed the field goal, right? Is that a... Yep. Okay, 18. This one surprised me. Jim Brown's Hall of Fame career comes to an end. Uh, I I wasn't alive then, obviously. Was that a huge, huge event at the time? Well, it, it's I mean it's interesting, and and I've also later in the book I've got Barry Sanders' retirement. It's funny because there's such parallels with the two of them that they uh, they, they surprisingly ended their careers um, in their prime. And, and the idea, I mean, with Barry Sanders, I make the the idea that if he played three more seasons, Emmett Smith never would have caught him. But the Jim Brown was significant for for two reasons. You know, one one because of the, the fact that he was perhaps the greatest running back of all time and, um, you know, and then left in his prime, but also, uh, it was interesting the way he left and, you know, he went, he, he had already begun his Hollywood career and he was filming. And I, I think it was the dirty dozen. Yeah. Um, and, and the dirty dozen, um, production was lagging on and, and dragging into the start of training camp that year. And Paul Brown told him that if he did not show up on time for training camp, he would be fined and severely disciplined. And Jim Brown said, well, heck with it. I'm just going to focus on the movie and I'm not coming back. Sounds and like yeah. Some, for, yeah. Sounds like something could happen in 2019. Yeah. Like, I feel like that could definitely happen now, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. 17 Dawn of America's team. You obviously put that in there for your friend Gil Brandt. 
That's clear. Yeah, that's right. Uh, no, I don't disagree with that. 16 Chiefs win the Super Bowl. That's Hank Stram on the sideline. Right. That, that's that Super Bowl? Or was that? No, that was an earlier. Yep. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Super Bowl 4 is the Hank Stram mic uh, wired for sound. And, and you know, it, it's notable for that reason. Uh, for some people, that's the number one reason because it was so entertaining. But it's also obviously extremely significant because, and we'll get into this as you climb on this list, that everyone thinks of Joe Namath and the guarantee in Super Bowl 3 as such a significant moment because it established the AFL uh, during, you know, at the time of the merger. And it was, you know, number one, everyone said, okay, well, you know, the AFL won that game, but it was a fluke. And the Chiefs, uh, by winning one year later, sent the message that it was not a fluke. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I look back on history and those those things, like it seemed like such an incredible shock. You're right, just not not knowing much that the Jets won. But then when the Chiefs won, um, it, it totally said to me, isn't it, like what I know about NFL history, that it's a real deal with the AFL. Okay, I'm going to move quickly through 15 through 10. Lombardi named Packers coach, obviously. 14 Bears win 1940 title, 73 nothing. Is it just because it was so lopsided? No, uh, no, it, it was not. It, it, it actually, um, that's a good question. It's important because it was the beginning of the T formation. And, oh. you know, George Hallis, uh, you know, everyone, you know, thinks of George Hallis and Papa Bear and, uh, you know, this, this old time, you know, old timey coach. Uh, he was an innovator and, and it gets into it a little bit here. I mean, that offense, that offense, the Redskins had no answer for it because, George Hallis was doing some things that had never been done before. And, you know, it was, you know, basically uh, the equivalent of, you know, the, the new offenses we see today back then. Love it. Okay. 13 Super Bowl one. Uh, I remember there's a Simpsons joke where Abe Simpson's watching Super Bowl one. He tells Homer <laughs> to shut up. He's, he's worried that this game isn't going to make it if he doesn't pay attention. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Number 12 is really interesting. Super Bowl 51, Patriots' fifth title record comeback, uh, first Super Bowl overtime. That was 28-3, right? Um, that's right. That is, um, is that the most modern thing? Yeah, that's, that's the highest thing in your top 12. Uh, just out of curiosity, like, did you consider the Russell Wilson pick game? Like, why that Patriots Super Bowl, uh, besides those reasons I just mentioned? Right. Well, and and it was you know it, it was interesting because there were so many there you know there, there are a number of Patriots moments in here because of all the success they've had and getting the right put, putting it in the right sequence uh, uh, just of Patriots games was tricky and I, I landed on this one because of it was the combination of that you know the greatest comeback and the first overtime in Super Bowl history and then on top of that oh Tom Brady set a few records. You know, yeah. So it was it was definitely worthwhile. I mean, it was inter- it's interesting. You know, you already talked about at twenty. I have the Patriots almost perfect Super Bowl Super Bowl season. Um, you know, the, what they accomplished that season was amazing, but they ended up losing it. So that's actually the number two Patriots moment I've got in this book is a negative to the Patriots, but obviously very significant. Okay, number eleven, Roselle becomes commissioner. Uh, number 10 is the one that was a head-scratcher for Mario, the young guy. Red Grange's pro debut, barnstorming tour, 1925. Uh, explain why this yep. was so big. Well, you got to understand, first, number one, college football was the, the dominant sport back then, mm. and, and pro football was not really even close. You know, this, this was the, the infancy 
of professional football. And Red Grange, the galloping ghost from Illinois, was a national superstar. And when the Bears signed him, uh, they, they got him. He played. He played for the Bears. I think a week after he graduated from Illinois, it was you know it was the, the wild wild west literally in those days. Um, but in addition to playing right away, uh, after the season ended, they went on this barnstorming tour around the country, and everybody wanted to see Red Grange. And in particular, the New York Giants, which were um, you know at, at one of the earliest franchises, but not a very successful one at first. And they were struggling, honestly. And Red Grange and the Bears came and played the Giants in Yankee Stadium that year and during this barnstorming tour. Uh, Sold-out stadium. Everyone, you know, it was the first big, exciting moment of pro football in the New York metropolitan region. And it, some argue that it actually saved the Giants franchise. So that alone <laughs> tells you how important that moment is. All right, I'll buy that. Uh, okay, number nine, breaking the color barrier in 1946. Was that Kenny Washington? Kenny Washington, uh, his UCLA uh, teammate, Woody Strode, um, obviously a very big deal, and, and in pointing out that, that at the same time, the Cleveland Browns, who, had, who weren't in the NFL yet, but the All-American Football Conference that ended up merging with them, um, Paul Brown, uh, was very instrumental also in breaking the color barrier with several African-American yeah. players, Marion Motley, the Bill famous, Willis, yeah. Hall of Famers, yeah. to be specific. Okay, number eight, the catch. Um, yeah, hard to argue that. That seemed like a no-brainer top ten. Number seven, debut of Monday Night Football. Uh, and by the way, uh, yeah, I don't know, the Browns-Jets. I watched the whole game on NFL Network. Have you watched it recently? No, no, the original Monday Night Football game? Yeah, Joe Namath had some a little bit of a happiness step back then. I know that Joe Namath obviously was on the descent at that point, but, uh, you know, he looked pretty good. I was into I'd never seen his full Joe Namath game, but NFL Network kept showing that. Okay, number six, yeah, the Ice Bowl. I would have bet you people are going to argue that that should go higher, maybe because the Cowboys are the most popular team, even though they lost. Uh you know, six through one, we're talking like royalty of NFL moments. How, how did you put the ice ball at number six, and were you tempted to put it higher? Uh, you know, in my head, you know, it's certainly iconic. Uh, you know, it, it, I, again, I think what I've got in the top five is hard to hard to pass up. Yeah. So I, I don't think I can offer a reason that, that knocks the ice ball. I think it's deserving of being this high. Uh, I guess the only thing I would say is that the the Packers were already the defending Super Bowl champions, hmm. right? So it, maybe it would be a little different if this were, um, you know, if this were to decide getting into that uh, first Super Bowl. Um, and also, I mean, it's, it, it, I, I remember the Bengals, uh, Chargers. Bengals-Chargers ice bowl <laughs> game in Cincinnati uh, in 82, Um you know, if that were as close a game as this, you know, maybe, you know, and again, maybe this is another instance where time is what's making this more more uh, important and significant, but certainly deserving at number six. Yeah, uh, my boss, Dan Patrick, was at that Cincinnati game. He's from Cincinnati. He said, that was no joke. That was really cold. I met in the footage of the ice ball, too. I, I hate cold games. Okay, number five. Oh, by the way, very cold game. Eagles beat the Cowboys 27-19. 80 championship game, in case you forgot. There you go. Uh, 
Number five is The Perfect Season, which I already talked about it. Four, Birth of NFL Films. I bet you you're going to get a little bit of a hard time because that wasn't on the field, but I love it. I totally agree. Well, well, and, and here's and, and here's one here is just one of the many reasons why it is so important and significant. Just in going back at things we've talked about so far here, yeah. Andrew. Yeah. The the uh, the Chiefs winning Super Bowl four. We talked about Hank Stram wired on the sidelines, and that's what everyone thinks about. And that was, you know, it's the first time, first certainly the first time a coach had ever been wired in the Super Bowl, and that was all Stephen Ed Sable's doing. Yeah. Uh, so so they, we owe them that. Uh, and then talked about the, and right after it, 17, the dawn of America's team. Did you know that the, the term America's team was created by NFL films? Nope, but I'm not surprised. There you, there you go. Uh, you know, they, they used to do, uh, and they, they still, I guess, still do, uh, you know, the team highlight uh, videos a- after every season. And they have to run it by the team when they're doing it and writing it and, putting it together and they i forget which year it was but the it was the producer of that video at nfl films who came up with this concept of america's team he had to run it by the cowboys to uh to get approval for it of course uh hanks uh, i mean uh tex ram the cowboys general manager loved it and ate it up and knew exactly what that would mean for business Tom Landry hated it and <laughs> knew that it was, he knew that was putting a target on that team. And he was right, but he certainly helped them handle it. I love at the end of it, I've seen a million of those like season capsules for the teams. When the team's like three and 13 or something and they have to put a positive spin on the last minute, the formula. So it'd be like, <laughs> although it was a tough season with Steve DeBerg under center, the Bucks are <laughs> shining brightly for the future. So I mean, yeah, and I know a million of those guys who've done those. And like the last minute positive tag on a losing team is my favorite thing of all time. And they were good at it. They were great. Okay, two and three are the merger and the guarantee. Is it fair to say those two are linked? Uh, yeah, definitely fair to say. Um, you know, the, the merger, obviously, as far as talking about off-field moments that are in this book, um, you know, we wouldn't, you know, the NFL wouldn't be what it is today without the merger. And, and uh, you know, other leagues have come around since then and can't, you know, can't stack up and, uh, getting kind of traction, but what the what the AFL and and, and in in a way this is a, a nod to the AFL in general uh, overall and what it did it was very significant and such a big deal that they were able to work that out. Okay, and uh, number one, the greatest game ever played. The title helps it. Uh, December twenty eighth, nineteen fifty eight. Now, how do you ex- what do you expect the reaction to putting that number one will be? Well, as you as you're alluding to, you're right. I mean, as far as the age difference, uh, I, I would hope that those who are too young to, to know, look, I'm, you know, we're, we're too young to, to, to say that we were there for it or remember it, but we know, and so hopefully, younger fans will will read the write up on that and understand the significance. You know, first of all, it's, it was the first sudden death NFL game ever played. You know, they, they didn't know. I mean, imagine, again, another example of history and, and why things that are older are more significant. Imagine, you know, these players at the end of the game, aside from, you know, Donovan McNabb uh, yeah. not knowing <laughs> rules of overtime, you know, that was every player on that field was Donovan McNabb. They had never done it before, and they weren't sure exactly how it worked. So 
and and it was a and a championship game. So that alone is significant. And then on top of that, being uh, it, it wasn't the first nationally broadcast uh, football game, but it was one of the first nationally broadcast playoff games, championship games. And so this national audience seeing something that had never happened before. Uh, you know, if you want to, you want to talk about water cooler talk on a Monday morning you know, <laughs> these days after, after an NFL game, uh, you know, people after that game just in, in amazement uh, and wonder about that. And the one thing I'll leave you with here too, uh, not only so you've got the greatest game ever played at number one, and you've got the guarantee, the Jets Super Bowl three victory at number two. Amazingly, they had one thing in common, the same head coach. Uh, Weeb Eubank? Weeb Eubank. Yep. So here, I mean, look, he's in the Hall of Fame. He gets his due. But I don't know if people really appreciate the fact that, you know, look, my list people can argue with and question all they want, but it, those are certainly two of the top five greatest moments in NFL history. Oh, absolutely. And here was and here's Weeb Eubank, the head coach of both of those games. Pretty well, incredible. You know what hurts Weeb Eubank? I mean, Weeb is not a name that translates <laughs> to the current day. <laughs> you know, you don't know many Weebs, and it's kind of a no, odd name. He's unique. Yeah. He's unique. There you go. It's kind of like Boog Powell. And, okay, and I know, uh, yeah, a New Yorker, I, I will give you credit. You had the Miracle of the Meadowlands at 37, and then you had the Philly Special uh, at 71. So you didn't completely discount my... Philadelphia Eagles, although you could have had uh, Keith Byers uh, block on Pepper Johnson or Randall jumping over uh, the Giants, uh, what like Carl Banks. You know, you could have put one of those yeah. in there. Some or, of the 90s you know, Eagles. Randall's 99-yard punt, sure. Yeah. They but, did, Randall didn't, didn't fit the list? No? no. It, you know, it was close. Look, Randall had, Randall's certainly one of, uh, one of the great, great, exciting players in NFL history, but no, sorry. Uh, so I think this book is going to do really well, Craig. I'm excited for you. Tell tell the people where you can get it. Well, uh, it's going to be available in bookstores, certainly available on Amazon. Like, as you said, it came out on Tuesday. And um, uh, triumphbooks.com slash NFL100 is, is another source to find it. So hopefully, uh, and I do think it's going to make a great holiday gift this year, and I hope everyone loves it. Yeah, the one thing is, I'll tell you, People are going to argue over it. So buy it for somebody and then just challenge them to a fight over thing, which is the best thing about arguing. I'm a huge fan of lists. And like this, this one is a lot more fun than some of the other hundred lists. So I'm, I'm psyched, Craig. And, you know, we kind of know each other a long time. It'd be nice if I could actually get a copy. I don't know how much I have to pay for this. I think I can. I think I can make that happen. Oh, awesome, buddy. Well, good luck. And we will uh, catch up soon. All right, Pearl. Thanks. And great talking to you. Yeah, you too, Craig. Talk soon, bud. Take care. That was great. Really interesting stuff from Craig. I have to tell you, my moment, my personal moments are totally different than that. They're all Randall Cunningham related. It's sort of that era of the Eagles. There's one, a famous play where Keith Byers took a <laughs> blocked somebody, a Giants player, I think it was Pepper Martin, into the into the second row of Veterans Stadium. And I think I was there and it was the greatest thing that ever happened. Then there was Randall Cunningham jumping over a Giants player and throwing a touchdown. Most amazing thing. And my last one, because I was there, and it's on um, Craigslist, is the Eli Manning to David Tyree pass, because I was in the auxiliary press box on the top row of that stadium in Phoenix, 
And it was there was all this smoke from the halftime show that was there, and it got in my eyes, and it sort of flowed up to the top of the stadium. So during the, after the play, I had no idea what happened. I thought they sacked Eli. I couldn't tell. It was pure chaos on the field. Then I turned to the guy next to me. It was like, I think it was Jason Cole or somebody, some longtime NFL reporter, and said, what the heck just happened there? Was that a sack? I had no idea for like two minutes that one of the great plays in NFL history had happened. You got an all-time play, Mario? Um, I grew up as a Jet fan, so all my memories are really, really just crappy moments. I mean... Oh, like the Dan Marino fake spike. Uh, what about that Monday night game that went on forever? Do, do you remember that? Jumbo mm, Elliott? No, no. You're too I'm, young. So you don't like have a, anything. I'm like a butt fumble guy. Jets, <laughs> Jets losing uh, two AFC championships back to back. Do you even uh, know the Jumbo Elliott play? You don't even know. It was a Monday Night Miracle TD catch. Oh, my gosh. You are yeah. so young. Jets fans, that must be terrible to uh, to have to be a Jets fan right now. I'm just and cursed. This year, yeah. Yeah. I mean, actually, there's there's definitely reason to be hopeful. Sam Darnold's pretty awesome, or at least I thought he was going to be awesome. Yeah, now he's but, hanging uh, out in the wrong crowd. He was such a nice young guy when he got into New York. and Wait, you're saying mono. he's hanging around? Because he has mono, he's hanging around with the wrong crowds? Well, I don't know. It just kind of what it seems like to me, Andrew. You know, I had mono in college. You're saying I was hanging out with the wrong crowds? I'm not saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> Did they call me the kissing bandit? Not really, which makes me wonder where I got my... I think I got on the water fountain at the <laughs> library, to be honest with you. That doesn't right. surprise me. <laughs> All right, we're going to learn a lot more about the NFL. I, I'm so curious which of week, week one and week two stories are pure overreactions. We're going to find out more. We're going to talk about that on Monday's podcast. Hope you're enjoying the Against the Grain football podcast. Please... Subscribe, rate, review, tell all your friends. Uh, Mario, you definitely have told all your friends. I, I, that's a given, right? Yeah, yeah. It's shared the link, told them to write yeah. reviews. How many friends are we talking about? Like six, ten? Well, my, uh, I got a big friend group, about 15. So we've got nice. probably 15 subscribers from my friends alone. Nice. 15 and 19. I love it. All right, buddy. Uh, catch you next Monday right here on the Against the Grain Football Podcast.